Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. Well, what an amazing couple of weeks we've had. We had our breakthrough offering a couple of weeks ago, and um, we have been having a great time with our youth ministry going away at youth camp. This week, we've got um, Public Brisbane in its infancy stage starting. And also, to wrap it all up, we've been going through the book of Ephesians with our public project. Who has been enjoying their daily devotions in the book of Ephesians? Give me a wave. Some of you may have missed a day or two here or there, or even if you haven't been online yet, you haven't started, um, there's still two more weeks to go. And Renee did a phenomenal job last week going into um, setting up the whole book of Ephesians and was talking very clearly about disruptive power of grace within culture, the disruptive power of grace in everyday society, when, when the church is fully functioning in its, in its full capacity in the grace and the love of Jesus, um, it has an incredibly disruptive power, but also has a disruptive power within our own lives. And so she set up incredibly well the whole book of Ephesians and booked Mark and went through the first chapter. And it's my privilege and honor to share around chapter two. Can we pray if that's okay? Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. Lord, it's such an exciting part, a time to be a part of your church. And we just praise and thank you for all that you did in the young people's lives, Lord. But we just pray, Lord God, that even today as we dive and delve deeper into your word around Ephesians, Lord God, as we come to understand your salvation and your saving grace, Lord God, Lord, that we would come into a deeper revelation and a deeper understanding of your love and your kindness initiated towards us. Lord, we thank you that you've called us according to your purposes. And Lord God, we are a church and a group of people, Lord God. We don't want to just live for ourselves, Lord God, but we want to be on mission with your assignment, with your purpose, Lord God. And I just pray and ask that today you would make that even more clearer. Just like you've begun, Lord God, within many young people's hearts, you've opened up their eyes and their understanding and their spirits to the, the purpose of you, God. So come and speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and everyone shouted, you are a rowdy bunch today. Turn the person next to you and say, it is great to see you in church. I would like to see my dad up here in the mosh pit next week um, with a couple of knee braces and ankles strapped. We'll have to get the, the first aid team set up ready, but he's been at the gym now four times a week for the last six months in his 70s, and he's as fit as a fiddle. And um, it is great that we are a young at heart church no matter what your age. Well, we want to have a look here today. Um, my sermon title is Saved by grace. And there's a few things, there's hopefully we can get to a few points today um, that I want to share with you around the book of Ephesians is that Paul wants us to inform, to actually inform the church of Ephesus very clearly around the theology, make sure that that's crisp, clear, concise, that the church at Ephesus has a real clear understanding as we move from chapter, two, uh, chapter one into chapter two, 
But not only that there's a great theological understanding around the doctrine and theology around the, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, but also how to actually practically outwork that in, a day, in the day-to-day life, obviously of the church of Ephesus, but it's very clearly that it was it, this passage was timeless. No matter what the state of the world was, no matter what the state of the culture was at that time, no matter what political system was set up, no matter what hierarchical structure or societal um, changes and nuances were very clear for different points in time, but even right now, how it would make sense for us here in the bottom of the world, here in Australia, with a full Westminster parliamentarian system, how the application of the Word of God would actually transform and work within our lives. So we see here that it's very clear at the beginning of the passage, which we'll read in just a moment, that it's very clear around the fact of salvation. And we see that in um, actually, we'll go, we'll go to our first scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And his fullness fills you, even though you were, you were once like corpses. So be encouraged today, okay? Dead in your sins and your offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and the values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. Now, be hearted, warm-hearted by that fact. What Paul is trying to do is very clearly setting up the fact of the, the need for salvation, that we were born in darkness, that of ourselves we know that Adam and Eve, they took of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, and right at that point in time, from there on in, we had an issue where we had sin in our lives before we came to know Christ. So we see here that, that he's very clearly saying that there's, there's an intentionality, there's a work at play within the world. The whole world rages and is enmity against God. And there's an incredible need for the fact that salvation needs to take place within the human condition and within the human heart. And we see that today that in culture, there is, um, there is a want and a need and a desire consistently that people engage in salvation projects where they engage in an understanding of they might want to save themselves from an addiction. They may, want, they may want salvation because they come from a broken family or a long lineage of, of brokenness within a family line. So they want salvation and they want to change and transform or change direction and see a salvation project happen within one's heart. There might be um, a desire within... Um, culture today to have salvation maybe against uh, from your own self from your own mistakes from the differences of the pain that maybe you haven't afflicted upon other people because of your own brokenness but we see in society that there is this pursuit of salvation and it's been going on for millennia and obviously Paul wants to set it right with the church at Ephesus where he's wanting to very clearly state 
at the beginning of chapter 2 that you know what, the human condition, you are in need of a saviour. And right at that point in time, we see here that, that he wants to save us from our sin and therefore our shortcomings, our bad decisions, our mistakes, our addictions. And we see here that right up front, point number one, is that we once all walked in sin. Turn the person next to you and say, you walked in sin. It's going to get up from here, okay? So cheer up. Say it with a smile because there's a good part. So you once walked in sin. And so we see here that within that, we, have an ir- we, we don't just have an issue with a mild sickness, We don't just have an issue with being lost. We don't just have an issue as humanity of just some form of misdirection or some form of misguidance. We actually have a real problem, and that is the fact that without Christ in our lives, we are actually dead. And so we see here that, oh, we've got the graphic up, that we are made up of three parts as a human. Obviously, we have an outer body, which will decay, which is carnal by nature. It has been born in sin. But we see also that we have a soul. That's where our mind, will, and our emotions are all made up. And then we have our spirit. And right there, when we invite Jesus into our life, Paul's obviously setting up the fact of the human condition that our spirit needs to be ignited and it needs to be revived. It's dead and it wars against everything to do with God and it's susceptible towards the principality and the powers of the air. Yes, I'm going to say the word, the devil. And when you're not in Christ, you are open and vulnerable and susceptible to to all the darkness that actually comes when you're not in step with Christ. Does that mean every single person that is not a Christian is a Satanist? Absolutely not. Does that mean every single person that is not born again and given their lives to Jesus and is now a Christ follower, does that mean that they are intrinsically a bad person? Some of you know some people that they're not Christian, but they're very good. They're charitable. They raise money. They, they, they help old ladies across the road. They're polite. They're kind. They're well-mannered, but they're good people. But without Christ at the center and without their acknowledgement of him, regardless of whether they're seemingly good or bad, Paul is wanting us to get very clear the theology and the understanding that right at the very beginning, before Christ Every single one of us, no matter how much money is in our bank account, no matter how charitable we might be, no matter how nice and smiley we are and how many friends we've got, regardless of all of that, he's wanting to make it very clear to the church at Ephesus and obviously recorded through the history of time through the Word of God is the fact that, you know what? You're actually dead in your spirit if it hasn't been made alive with Jesus. So... On that incredibly positive note, let's move on where we see here our good part of the story, number two, is that we're actually saved by grace. So let's have a look. The corruption in verse three, the corruption that was 
in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and the desires of our own self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. Now, we haven't got this, but I want to just, just go on to the next two verses. Verse 4 says, But God still loved us with such great love. I, I love that fact. So Paul's wanting to set it up very clear. We've got this massive problem. It's sin. It's your carnal nature. Without Christ, you are actually dead. And so we see we've got the three parts of what a human existence is. We've got the body. That's our outer temple. We've got our, our, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And then we've got our spirit. But within that state, when we were dead and we were subjected to the principalities and the power. We lived a rebellious, disobedient life and we did what we wanted to do. We did what we felt we should. Whenever we wanted to, we were living and being governed by the, the world. Let's just have a look at that. What is the world? Paul's very clearly saying here, we're not to live of the world or we live in the world, but we can't be of the world. The world that he's talking about there is the way we've been conditioned to think through your family upbringing, through societal pressures, through the media, through social media now in the last 10 years, it's had a massive implication with a worldview of how we look, what we value, what's important, what we go after. Then it subjects us within that whether it be through political structures, educational systems, social commentators, all of these pressures within the world governing and dictating and setting a tone for what is either acceptable or unacceptable. And the pressure of the world is to live a certain lifestyle or to live according to a certain way of thinking or some certain patterns. And then if within that there's either punishment or reward, dependent on whether or not you're a part of that system or not. And Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly and a life that's overflowing with, with, with a whole raft of different structures and systems and it's his word and the kingdom of God and they war against each other. So we see here that Jesus, that Paul is saying, but God still loved us with such a great love. He is so rich in compassion. He's so rich in mercy. And even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. Can I hear an amen? So Paul's setting up, this is the ramifications. This was the state. And he's wanting to show us that Jesus has come to save us. And he's setting up the tone very clearly that God was the initiator of this love relationship and he was moving towards us. He was more moving towards you. He was moving towards me when we were at our darkest and, and, and our furthest away from God. And we see here that we see that within that, we need to understand what God's grace really is. To learn the definition of God's grace 
it is wise to understand that there's, there's a Greek and a Hebrew understanding behind the terminology that was trying to be, uh, that, that was being spoken of. So we see here a prominent Old Testament word describing God's grace is chest, C-H-E-S-E-D. And that word speaks of deliverance from enemies, deliverance from affliction, deliverance from adversity. And it also denotes an enablement and a daily guidance and a forgiveness and a preservation. So we see that we've got that, we've got that old Hebrew word that wraps it up. But then the New Testament word of charis, it focuses on the provision of salvation. And Jesus has come that we might be saved. And today, maybe you're here in this place and you're not in right relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. And as I'm sharing and speaking, it's like, oh, hang on a sec. I'm a good person. I mean well. And you're hearing the Word of God go forward. And it's like, oh, it's not the most positive thing to hear that if you're outside of Christ that you're dead. But the thing is, when the Word of God goes forward, everywhere the Gospels preached, something mysterious begins to stir within the human soul. Something mysterious begins to unravel and unwind and truth begins to penetrate in where there's darkness and hope begins to penetrate and it's a supernatural it's a supernatural phenomenon that over 2,000 years ago that Jesus would lay down his life that he could, right now, 2,000 years into the future, that he could be alive and he can still have an impact and an influence on a human soul and a human life right here today in the Coomera Cinemas at the Westfield on the northern part of the Gold Coast because he loves you, friend. So we see that... I like to wrap it up and the word grace, it's God's unearned or unmerited, meaning there's nothing you can do to actually get it. It's his unearned favor. And it's going towards us. And this is the incredible thing, is that Paul very clearly um, in just a couple of verses goes on to say that grace is beforehand and is accessed by faith. So there's nothing on our end, there's nothing from within us that can actually access or, sorry, we can't make God love us more. We can't make His grace rain down upon us more. Even if we access it through faith, that's nothing about us and it's everything about Him. And I love the fact that He is the initiator of this faith. So we see, let's continue on. So we see our third point within this today as we get a snapshot of the first 10 verses of Ephesians. The second half goes into about the accessing of, the, of salvation and God's grace to the Gentiles. But we haven't got time to, to get into that part today. I really want us to focus and, and get just continue to get bedrock theology and understanding and foundations around the fact that Jesus wants to save you and me. And then we'll get to it in just a moment. He wants to purpose us to continue to further that salvation call. So we see here the third point is that we are assured of heaven. Let's have a look at that. Ephesians 2, 6-7 to says... 
He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and the authority of the heavenly realm. And we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, he will be visible. He will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace. There it is once again. And his kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. Just hold that there. So we see that in the first passage, on the first verse, we're seeing that um, salvation was described to us right at the very beginning before our past. So even though we were once dead, then we see it's present. His salvation power is present and it's a reality today. It's a reality in our lives on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's flowing through us and flowing towards us and it's right there. We see that we're seated in the heavenly realm and we are now co-seated as of right now. We are now, as in now, co-seated as one with Christ. And then it goes on for the assurance of our salvation actually going forward into the future, the display of his infinite, limitless riches of grace and kindness as showered upon us going into the coming ages. So regardless of where you're at, whether you've never invited Jesus into your life, right now, whether you are a believer and you are in Christ Jesus, you right now have a, a joint inheritance. You are co-seated in the heavenly realms. What that is saying, it's, it's metaphoric speak for all the authority that was found in Christ Jesus when he conquered sin, conquered death, broke the back of sickness, broke the back of depression, broke the back of anxiety, broke the back of all the concerns and all the fear. Right there and then, the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, right now, you should be marching to the beat of another drum. You should have a rock-solid assurance and a confidence that you don't have to fear and falter and cower in this present age, but you have authority that is invested. You co-share in that authority through Christ Jesus and everything that He did when He laid down His life but was resurrected just three days later. You know, my old senior pastor, um, In Adelaide, he gave me the best analogy around this whole idea around authority. And so often you you go, well, how come you see some Christians and they live in God's authority? And they're powering through situations and they're powering through problems. And they might have a, a slight road bump, but, but they just seem to be overcoming. And, go, and they just seem to outwork the authority of Christ Jesus within their life. And he said it much like this. If you had an incredibly large road train or semi-trailer, the big rigs that, you know, they've got three trailers and they're hurtling down the freeway at 110. And if they were hurtling down with all the hundreds of tons of freight that are on them, the size of the engine, the weight, just the, that thing has incredible power. There's no doubt that that truck is a powerful force. If anything gets in the way, it's, it could be deemed as a weapon. And we see it, the carnage on the roads, if they have a head on, it's, it's devastating. We see, obviously, roadkill on the side of the road. We're on holidays or we go out into the regions and, and we see kangaroos, cows or whatever on the side of the road. Anything that gets in the wake, in the way of these trucks, these powerful trucks, 
there's devastation that happens. So there's no doubt, would you agree that that truck has power? Give us a wave. Okay. But this is the incredible thing, is that if in the horizon a truck driver is driving and he's hurtling down the freeway at 110 kilometers an hour in this powerful machine, but there would be a man in a blue uniform with black and white striped checks around an awkward-looking hat, and he would come out into the middle of that road that he would put up his hand, and as the truck got closer and the driver's vision came into sight, he realizes that he's actually going to have to start winding down through the gears and slow that truck down because of why. The policeman has the full legislative laws of our whole political system invested with authority into him. He's not extra special. He's not Superman. He's not Jesus Christ. He's a police officer that has been invested in and been given authority to outwork the laws of the land. And if a policeman were to say stop, then all vehicles must cease and move to the side of the road and stop unless you're Liam on your L plates and my prayer life is going through the roof and he just, rather than stops, panics and accelerates. <laughs> that may or may not have happened. Not with a policeman, but another situation. But this is the thing. Sorry, Liam. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> if I could get DJ to come up on the keys, that would be great. There's an assure, we're assured, obviously, of eternal life in heaven through Christ Jesus. And that is wonderful. But we're also assured of the authority that we will have in full reign and full, in full measure that we can actually operate in that authority here on earth. And there might be situations and circumstances that might feel like there's a road train coming at you or it's gone through you. So, oh man, I'm, I'm, it's, been, it's been hard out here. The authority that Christ Jesus, we're co-seated and we can operate in that power. Last but not least, is that the Apostle Paul was letting us know all these incredible things as he was layering out theology to outwork practically. Then he goes on, he makes great mention that we will walk in good works. And just in closing, he actually says that we're his workmanship. I won't read it for time, but you can note it there. This whole thing around workmanship, it actually translates it really well in the Passion Version around, around a poem. But that comes from a, a Greek word, poema, which also we draw down, which is like art. And so what, what the Apostle Paul is trying to say, we, we're actually, when we live the fullness of Christ's authority, when we're fully understanding that we are now, our spirit's been set alive, we've been saved, we've got that salvation switch flicked on, we're now in a relationship with Jesus. We've become alive, we've been born again. At that point, we move forward within it. 
but then our lives become like a gallery or a museum or pieces of incredible art where each and every one of us collectively have a wonderful story to talk about the redemptive power of Jesus the saving power of Jesus before salvation at work within us through tough times as we walk and we outwork our faith in Christ Jesus on a daily basis that these become beautiful pieces of artwork that the world can actually marvel so when people could come into our church they would hear beautiful stories like what we heard these several young people about all of a sudden as a young person Christ encountered them through his saving grace he initiated they accessed him through faith the young people the youth leaders they created an atmosphere of faith but Jesus is the one that was doing all the work it wasn't how good Joey or Georgia was leading it wasn't the great musicianship it wasn't the effort God used that but Paul was wanting us to be very clear that it wasn't our efforts it wasn't our religious activities it wasn't our charitable um, expressions of, of outworking the only thing that can save us is Christ Jesus and His grace the Bible says all have sinned all have messed up and all have fallen short of what God's standard is for living His holy standard and so within that we can only access that so we see here that we are His workmanship we are His poema we're beautiful pieces of artwork that are on display. And I really believe that as we continue to go forward, as we allow His, His power to outwork within our lives, I really get this sense that we are going to not just see a transformation happen within our own personal lives. In closing, it says, that No one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving which is what I've been saying but we have become his poetry and recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us and we are joined to Jesus for we are joined with Jesus the anointed one even before listen to this and I want to close with this even before we were born God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it so he is all about us now we've been repurposed as pieces of artwork now to display God's splendor God's redemptive story God's salvation it wasn't all about getting our free ticket to heaven it was about living a life of surrender. It's about living a life of outworking good works. But remember, the good works are not earning more brownie points with God. That's already been done. We need to be very clear with that. But now that we know that, how much more so do we know we don't have to strive or work hard, but now we can actually just relax and outwork the grace of God within our community, within our working environment. We don't have to try and leverage people and accept them once they understand us or they come to understand or they align themselves with our values or our systems. The grace was before that. 
the grace was before that. So we just need to keep going out with God's grace, God's salvation message. Not one of judgment, not one of condemnation, but one of grace. It was His grace that led me back to Him. In my darkest hour when I knew how good He was, I forsook Him and didn't choose Him. I wanted to rebel and do my own thing, so I went my own way. And yet He still kept moving towards me. And at that point, when I crumbled and said, you know what, I can't live this life of selfishness anymore. I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. I access the fullness of your grace by faith. But you were already there. You were already initiating. You were already moving towards. And you know what? That's what we need to be at in our community. Young person, when you go to school this week, when university kicks back off, no matter what field or industry you're in, if we keep revealing and showing graciousness and kindness, let me tell you, we're going we're gonna to move in people's hearts because Jesus is going to move through us.